The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. It's a done deal. UMass Amherst officially closed this week on its deal to acquire the Mount Ida College campus in Newton. And we also learned some new information this week about the controversial transaction as senators held an oversight hearing. Katie Lannon, you were there for that uh, very long hearing. What uh, what happened? Well, I was there for several hours of it, that's right, <laughs> but not the whole thing. Um, and one of the things that did come out was just how quickly this all transpired. It was really a matter of days. Mount Ida's merger with LaSalle, um, which was in the works for a while, but that fell through March 22nd, and it was the next day their talks began with UMass Amherst. And just two weeks after that, they announced the preliminary deal. And it turns out Mount Ida was just over a month away from bankruptcy at that point. Financial struggles had been ongoing there for years, including a retention problem when they lost half of their 2012 entering class between the freshman and sophomore years. And we learned, too, that UMass Amherst's interest, involvement, whatever you want to call it, touched off years ago as well. Very informally in 2014, when the idea was first raised with uh, Chancellor Kumbal Subhaswamy at a uh, networking event held by the Boston Business Journal. Of course, he doesn't remember years later who it was who brought that up to him. Of course. So uh, if the acquisition is a done deal, what, if any, is the role for state lawmakers here? Well, one of the things we heard this week from UMass President Marty Meehan was that changing demographics mean declining numbers of college-age youth in the region. He's forecasting more closures of these small private colleges and suggested that some sort of standards should be put in place there. That could be one area for lawmakers to step in. In the meantime, the focus is really going to be on Mount Ida officials. That's who Attorney General Maura Healey is investigating, and that's who the Senate Post-Audit Committee has indicated they might like to subpoena to hear more from. So what comes out of that is still an open question, but it's definitely something to watch. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Sam. Campaign season heats up, and we heard the first gubernatorial debate this week for the two Democratic contenders, Jay Gonzalez and Bob Massey. Matt Murphy, you were down there at UMass Boston for the debate, which was hosted by WBUR, The Globe, and the McCormick Institute. The question is, was it a debate? That's a great question, Sam, and I would, I would have to say it's really more of a conversation between these two as they went hard after the governor on everything from his proposals on housing and opioids to his handling of the MBTA. But on issue after issue, they really largely agree on uh, the policies, and they're both calling for more revenue, uh, support the millionaire's tax, and want to invest in education, uh, drug abuse treatment, and uh, new affordable housing and transportation. So were there any differences between these two? Yeah, that really came up towards the end of the debate. And the the arguments that they put forward really come from their leadership experience. Bob Massey calling himself a movement leader who was able to inspire people and trying to paint Jay Gonzalez as the insider, uh, the government guy who has worked in the building, uh, worked in private health insurance, and has actually an identical resume to that of Governor Charlie Baker. Indeed, Gonzalez was Governor Patrick's budget chief for around three years. Will Gonzalez be running on Patrick's two terms as governor? 
It's interesting, and we talked to uh, Jay Gonzalez after the debate about this, particularly when he said during the debate that if the millionaire's tax should fail this fall or get knocked off the ballot by the courts, that he would propose a new progressive tax. I asked him if that tax would be the tax plan the Governor Patrick himself put forward in 2013, and Jay said no, he would come up with something different. So I asked him how uh, the experience argument plays with the fact that he worked for a popular Democratic governor who had no government experience, the kind of experience that Jay says is now necessary. And Jay said something interesting, I thought. He kind of faulted the Patrick administration, uh, including on that tax rollout, for thinking that they could kind of operate in a bubble uh, and how they crafted this tax plan in isolation, uh, presented it to the legislature in a state of the state, and it landed with a thud, he said. That's one lesson he said he has learned and will take with him to the corner office. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Sam. It's now up to the states whether to allow sports betting, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled this week. Some states are putting the finishing touches on shiny new sports books where they expect to start taking bets by the height of this summer. Colin Young, Massachusetts, is still working on opening casinos. And daily fantasy sports aren't yet on firm legal ground. So are we already talking about legalizing sports betting here in the Bay State? It sure seems that way, Sam. Uh, The governor, speaker, and Senate president each said this week that legal sports betting is something Massachusetts ought to give serious consideration to, but no one has really started to run with the idea just yet. Everyone has talked about the potential revenue sports betting could bring in, so I wanted to give you some context for what exactly we're talking about here. The Mass Gaming Commission pegged the possible state tax revenue from sports betting at between 9 and $61 million dollars. Assuming the high end of that range, $61.3 million annually, uh, that's what the Gaming Commission says Massachusetts could pull in if it allows people to place bets at casino sportsbooks, at retail locations, and online or on mobile devices. And that's also with what the commission referred to as a high tax rate of 15%. So how does that $61 million compare? It's just less than the $63 million the legislature is expecting in revenue from the first year of marijuana sales. Uh, it's less than the $67 million in state taxes that have been collected from the Plain Ridge Park Slots Parlor in just the last year. Uh, and it's certainly less than the $1 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, in profit that the mass lottery returned last year. And Colin, you wrote this week about how this sports betting ruling from the Supreme Court could have some bearing on other legal issues, such as marijuana legalization and the sanctuary cities debate even. So uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, that's right. The oral arguments in the sports betting case uh, largely revolved around the Tenth Amendment, which generally states that Congress can't issue uh, direct orders to state legislatures. New Jersey, in the sports betting case, successfully argued that the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act violated the Tenth Amendment because it prevented the state from legalizing sports betting. So now that uh, argument is basically that Congress either has to regulate something itself or allow the states to do it on their own. So um, that argument could be applied to things like marijuana legalization, which is happening state by state, uh, and also the sanctuary cities and sanctuary states debate. So look for that to be applied in other cases soon. Gotcha. And, uh, of course, this all comes about 30 years too late for Charlie Hustle. That's right. No luck, Pete. (laughs) Thanks, Colin. Stay away from the track, Sam. (laughs) 
After the House passed a bill last week raising the tobacco purchasing age to 21, Senator Jason Lewis, co-chair of the Public Health Committee, said this week that he's sure the Senate will also pass the measure this session. Andy Metzger, you've been covering the issue. What's in store for our local tobacconists? Uh, Well, both branches are in agreement on this policy, and the governor hasn't raised any real objections to it, so it has a very good shot at becoming law this session. Um, Now, this bill, rather than penalizing teens for possessing tobacco, would raise the age that they can purchase it from 18 to 21. Uh, Now, many cities and towns have already done that at the local level. This would institute that statewide. The Senate passed a similar bill last session, and Senator Lewis this week said he thinks the Senate could pass it again as soon as June. Uh, But first, the budget for the Senate. Uh, They're tackling that next week. Speaking of tackling, uh, New England Patriots great Teddy Bruschi was in the building this week lobbying for a new way to handle stroke patients. Uh, That's a policy backed by the American Heart Association, who also support this uh, bill to raise the tobacco purchasing age. Andy, you were at that Teddy Bruschi event. What did he have to say? Well, Teddy Bruschi used to call plays on defense, and now he wants a little more foresight into the decisions that EMTs make when they're encountering someone suffering from a stroke. Uh, the bill he supports, which may or may not be part of a larger health care package, would determine which hospitals are best equipped to handle stroke patients and then send those patients to those hospitals. Interestingly, uh, Teddy Bruschi talked about his own stroke, uh, which he said struck when he was dreaming about tackling Jerome Bettis, the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship. And right at the moment of uh, impact, bam, the stroke hit Teddy Bruschi. Now, he went on to recover. He played another four seasons. But talk about a dream journal entry. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks, Andy. Thank you, Sam. Enough about this week. Mike Norton and the Statehouse News staff have been using the usual quiet time on Friday to figure out what's coming up next week. What have you got for us, Mike? Quite a bit, Sam. Here's just a taste of some of the events and storylines we're covering today in our weekly advances. A major offshore wind decision and Senate deliberations on a $41.4 billion fiscal 2019 budget are highlights of the week ahead, which will also feature the release of a report on the state of the LGBT community in Massachusetts. Beacon Hill also appears to be casting about with a high level of uncertainty in the wake of the landmark U.S. Supreme Court ruling over whether to plunge down the path towards legalized uh, betting on sports. No one on the Hill so far has taken a lead role in pushing sports betting, so we're watching out for that. Also, there's only two weeks left in May, and House Speaker Robert DeLeo has promised a vote this month on controversial legislation aimed at limiting access to guns for people if their families throw up so-called red flags. And how about health care legislation? Governor Baker called on the legislature last summer to pass his proposal to produce health care savings in the public and private sectors. What's happening with that? This is turning out to be an, in- an interesting one. The House is slow-walking its major health care bill. This is uh, one that's uh, approach that's raising questions about whether a bill will even pass this session. The Senate last year passed a sweeping health care bill, but Governor Baker questioned whether it would reduce costs, which was supposed to be the objective. So with the clock ticking towards the July 31st end of formal sessions, the degree of difficulty is rising here um, on the job of coming up with a House counterpart to the Senate bill and then, more importantly, reaching a House-Senate compromise and getting a bill to the governor, one that he'll actually sign. So apart from that mystery, uh, lawmakers in both branches are waiting for bills that are a little further down the legislative track. 
Um, coming out of conference committees really at any time could be bills regulating and taxing short-term rentals, a supplemental budget bill that might expand early voting opportunities, and a bill giving consumers new rights when their data security is breached. If that's not enough, Sam, the week starts on Monday with the UMass Board of Trustees likely picking a new chancellor for UMass Boston, and it finishes next Friday with 2016 Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton sitting for a public conversation at Harvard University with State Attorney General Maura Healey. Wow, a busy week ahead. We'll you be bet. watching. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.